Coming up, we're preparing for the final week of Advent and the singing of the O Antiphons as we speak with Zachary Turner, Director of Sacred Music at St. Mary's Seminary. Welcome to Around the Archdiocese. Sharing information, insights, and stories about our Catholic faith from across the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston, you're listening to Around the Archdiocese. Here's your host, Sean O'Driscoll. Hello and welcome back to another episode. My name is Sean O'Driscoll. I am blessed to serve as the Senior Communications Manager here for the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston and your host for this show. This week, we are blessed to have with us in the studio Mr. Zachary Turner, who serves as the Director of Sacred Music at St. Mary's Seminary here in Houston. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, as we are now in the middle of the Advent season, we're coming up on the O Antiphons, which is what we're going to be talking about in a minute. But I want to step back before we get into those, because the whole way that we sing those starts with a larger conversation about, well, specifically your title, Director of Sacred Music, not just music, but sacred music. What does it mean to be a director of sacred music? Oh, that's a great question. I was hoping you would tell me. (laughs) Well, I think the distinction needs to be made even uh, between sacred music and religious music, right? Uh, There's much, much wonderful religious music out there. It's devotional. It has an appeal. Um, It helps to kind of bring one in a certain mind. Sacred music, I think, has a liturgical function. It's it it serves the texts in the liturgy, be it the divine office or the mass. And like all analogies, this is probably a a poor one, uh, but I think good sacred music functions like um, a really well-tuned telescope. You know, if you consider the text of a liturgy like a heavenly body, let's just take the moon, for instance, right? Uh, The purpose of a telescope is is to uh, help us to really apprehend and find detail you know, aspects of that. It's, its final end is to be a good telescope, certainly, but it, its purpose is to, to help us to grasp that. And so those who work in sacred music, I think, have a, um, a charge to explore what sacred music is, continue to kind of crack that nut and open that. And, but, but to the service of uh, the liturgical function of the text, of course, the worship of, of God's people, in uh, in mass and in the divine office. So, having that liturgical foundation and focus, what would you say are some of the characteristics of sacred music? What makes something appropriate for the liturgy? I actually think the 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 best sacred music, if you will, paradoxically brings one to a state of silence, you know, a state of of contemplation. And, and I, I don't necessarily mean like a, like a, a transcendental Zen-like uh, mode, uh, but it, it, the, the vibrations of sacred music um, help to kind of focus one's mind and attention, uh, particularly to, you know, uh, the text uh, that, that has a, a, a primacy in the sense that's what's kind of conveying um, the liturgical sense. Um, and, uh, you know, for instance, uh, good hymns, Chant, um, well, well thought out antiphons, melodies that are easy to to grasp and sing, uh, but also give clarity to what is being sung. Um, that I think lends itself to uh, to good sacred music. 
is it just a matter of taste then? Is it, I like this type of music or I prefer this style or I like that particular setting versus this particular setting. How much is, is your own personal feelings? How does that relate to sacred music? Yeah. The, 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 the question of taste. So I, I think, you know, another analogy, again, probably a weak one. Let's, let's take salt, right? Uh, steak is fantastic, right? Um, no and, argument here. And there's, and there's no <laughs> argument. And of course, we, we place salt on it because it helps to kind of bring out the nature of the steak, right? It, it magnifies it in a certain sense. It, taste is, it, it comes from a perspective, but it also has a formative aspect. Music, to a certain degree, is something that we ingest, um, uh, that we imbibe, and I think that good music around around great texts helps to kind of bring the nature of what it is we are singing or what we are taking in out. It complements it, right? And uh, when we when we discuss aspects of nature, both of music and text, right, uh, both of you know food and seasoning, and and how they complement each other, and you know that process of of um, you know, it, it leads to a kind of certain contemplation of these things, right? A process of refinement and discussion, but also just kind of sitting back and in a certain kind of a, maybe even wonder uh, and realization of the truths that are being uh, presented to us. Again, whether it be a good steak or, you know, a great, uh, <laughs> great liturgical text. I, I think it's bigger than just simply taste of perspective, right? It's, it's what it actually does to the listener in response uh, to an encounter. And the church kind of gives us some guidelines when creating sacred music. Oh, sure. Um, I know oftentimes people hear sacred music and they immediately think chant. What is it about Gregorian chant that makes it appropriate for the liturgy? Chant has has come from traditions, particularly monastic traditions, right, where uh, you have had uh, men and women set with these texts. In many cases, they're actually writing these texts over centuries. And so, uh, you know, this the, we hear, of, for instance, in the, in the Benedictine uh, kind of tradition, Lexio Divina, right? This, they're savoring this, right? They, they're actually they're taking this in, and and they're sitting with it, and um, they're gnawing on it, and so the the melodies which emanate from that, um, I, I think, fittingly have a certain nature which which works well with that, right? It's not not necessarily just about immediate appeal or draw, although those things those things can be helpful, um, uh, you know. No question. Uh, there's many wonderful hymns, for instance, that you know um, that that kind of catch you. They're arresting in a certain sense, and immediately so. There's there's metricizations which, you know, kind of grip us. Uh, when it when it comes to chant, however, I I think that that has such a long history of development, along with the church as she in her mind has developed liturgical traditions, um, and has contemplated you know the mystery of the the liturgy itself and music's and music's uh, complementary role in that. So um, I think approaching something like chant, for instance, w- with the mind like, oh, well, you know, this is this doesn't sound like, uh, you know, uh, particularly uh, uh, interesting or I, I can't make any meaning out of this. It doesn't sound what I, what I hear on the radio. Yeah. It's, that's something yeah. That, that's secularly um, I'm that, familiar that's, with. That's that, uh, you know, uh, might might be a good thing in some ways, but it's that's not its its purpose. Right. Um, I think what it what what one ought to do is uh, calm themselves in a certain sense. And really just start to uh, take it in. There's something about the sacredness when you hear, uh, when you hear Gregorian chant, to hear those, those modes that are used 
in the music, there, there's, there's something in, inherently that draws you in a little bit there, deeper. There is, and I think a sophistication, you know, um, as, as one, uh, and I'm, I'm an amateur compared to many others, but as one kind of gets into, you know, the, the modalities, you know, the, the various modes, the various types of scales that are used, right? Why are those used? How are they used? Um, you know, you begin to see that no one chant is exactly like the other, um, and it's it's just a treasure house of of wonder. And most of these are composed anonymous, anonymously, or they come from very very long traditions. We'll be discussing the O antiphons. Those are those are ancient. Not only, I mean, those are those are uh, even uh, you know they're they're ancient references, right? Of Christ, the melodies themselves, you know, um, represent in their modality. Uh, their particular melody, uh, probably some of the the oldest ex- musical expressions that we have in the church, and and so it, it is this time capsule. And of course, you know, uh, obviously we need to do, do credence to um, what things have been added on since, right over time, and and what have you. But um, at least it still has semblances of very very long musical textual liturgical traditions coming through. And so when you're encountering it. Um, you're not encountering something that is supposed to be immediately appealing to you know this this you know chronological time right. This is something that has uh, a kind of eternal weight to it, um, and so it means you you do have to kind of sit and just sit with it. I do want to ask because we often have people uh, in the parishes and in the pews who will respond to Gregorian chant or even the discussion of sacred music by saying, well, it doesn't lift me up. I, I don't feel the emotional response. You know, if we play, you know, more contemporary Catholic hymns, that 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 gives me a, a different emotional response to the liturgy. From your experience, the seminarians, the the young men that are coming in to be formed for the priesthood, what is their response to the sacred music program? Oh well, I, it, it's been enthusiastic. Um, I mean, they're uh, a robust group of singers, and uh, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be working with them. We still manage to have many, many men. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, the rector or whoever celebrating mass on a Sunday, you know, uh, may make the comment that uh, the, the chapel, the, uh, the choir antiphonal seating that's down there, is somewhat empty because many of the men are up in the choir loft singing. You know, um, so more I people th- in the choir than there are actually. In the- <laughs> that's, that's right. So they're, you know, although when we have visitors, like for our recent lessons and carols, that becomes very convenient because you know we have more room available. But no, um, they 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 sing uh, hard. Heartily and they engage heartily. Um, those that are singing in Scola, but even those you know who may have other or their jobs, or you know Scola is not their thing. For instance, um, I notice that they uh, participate enthusiastically, even you know um, down in the nave. Um, so I think it's been very healthy, um, and I've been pleased with just the response overall. You mentioned Scola. For those who aren't familiar with what that is, can yeah, you, Scola, you a school. So this is the you know the, a specialized group, if you will. I mean, it's it's volunteers, those who would like to sing. You know, the motets or the chants that we pre- prepare for each mass. Um, we'll come together. We have weekly rehearsals, and we'll you know fine tune those and rehearse those. And um, you know that comprises about you know seventeen men, um, seventeen to twenty men at a given time. Uh, again, uh, they're really called upon to do a lot. Um, Throughout the house, so you know, perhaps sometimes they'll be lecturing or serving or what have you. But uh, really, uh, I, I couldn't be more pleased with the dedication of of everyone that's involved with the music there. 
Now, last year we had the opportunity to work with you and the Scola to record the O antiphons, which we mentioned earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about the O antiphons, what they are, and, and you know what their importance is in, during this Advent season? Sure. Well, the the O antiphons are Old Testament prefigurements, right, of of Christ, and so the Church, beginning on December seventeenth. Um, uses them as as antiphons for the uh, the Canticle of Mary, the Magnificat, that song in Vespers. Uh, Vespers is the the hour in the divine office that's done usually late afternoon, early evening. That's prayed by the church, and so the antiphons. Uh, antiphon is is a, a kind of a return call, right? So you begin with the antiphon. And you sing the Magnificat and you end with the antiphon. Or, of course, if you're doing a, a psalm or what have you. These particular antiphons are, as the intensity is rationing up, as we kind of crescendo in a certain sense to, uh, to Christmas, they begin on December 17th. And we get these, these prefigurements starting with, I, I think it's O Wisdom and moving with various you know, type, typologies, types, uh, as we finally get to Emmanuel, uh, which is on December 23rd, I believe. And in the name O Antiphons comes, as you said, because each antiphon begins with O wisdom, O That's right. They're they're in the vocative, right? So it's it's this invocation. It's O and then of course the imperative come, right? In many ways they function uh can <laughs> I don't uh Father Earthman, who's our director of liturgical formation, uh, you know, he he is the expert on this. But they I was kind of thinking on this, uh they function a little bit like a collect, for instance. This is the the prayer that we hear uh, before the readings at Mass, right? You you have um, you know, you may have a an invocation of of God in some form, and then you know, grant we beseech thee, right? Um, and then, of course, your your ending formula. This is somewhat like that, I suppose, right? You know, O Lord of Nations, O Root of Jesse, O Wisdom, um, and then come, and you know, and then the, the rest of the antiphon, which exists a little differently, I suppose, from. Um, other antiphons, which you know may be a, a part of scripture, um, outlining an aspect of the gospel, for instance, on Sunday or the reading that is occurring uh, on a given Sunday. This is a, a very direct um, and and I think intense invocation. And again, I use that word crescendo. It you know uh, the beauty of it is you know this is a retrieval of of all of these uh, you know types in the Old Testament. That we resound with the Magnificat, right? The Magnificat of all of things, which is, you know, uh, Mary is recorded in the gospel as, as singing uh, during the visitation. <clears throat> and so it's, uh, it's uh, uh, this, this theme that kind of washes over the Magnificat as you're singing it and then you return to it. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Now, I know when we did the recording and when they're sung, you sung them in Latin. Correct. Why Latin? I know often with Gregorian chant, it's done in Latin and that's done purposefully. But what is it about Latin for these chants that I know for some people, they, it makes it feel almost like it's a little inaccessible. You know, if I if I don't speak it, if I don't know the language, then I don't know what I'm singing. So how am I supposed to allow the music to draw me deeper into the 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 words or the prayer? I think encountering just the, the universality of the Latin, right? And our church is a universal one. And that these melodies that we sing um, are the are the, the garment in, in which they come to us, right? I think there's something, especially as you sing through it, as you work with it, as you sit with it, um, you realize the uh, the latent beauty in its expression. Um, and it's it's not so difficult. Um, I mean, for instance, you know, O translates to O in English. <laughs> so, you know. Very very literal translation there. <laughs> 
you know, o, o sapiencia, you know, o wisdom. I, I think that if you do, if you, if you strive just a little bit, right, and, and maybe just have a little patience and um, give yourself the benefit of giving it a chance, right? I'm speaking on a very kind of, you know, mundane, maybe practical level. Um, you can begin to make these correlations that open uh, a rich world, right? I mean, you know, the reason why we go back to the classics of anything, it's a little bit like reading a, a great book or something or classic movies, right? You know, um, Casablanca, that's a great movie. Love that film. You know, it took me many, many, I'm not going to say how old I am, but it took me many, many years <laughs> until I finally watched it. I wish I would have watched it a lot sooner. It's a great film. And it contextualizes so many other films for me that come after it, right? And, and, and now I have an appreciation for what it means to make a great film and great acting, right? And this is a, this is a classic, right? It, it will always, you know, because it's, it's a, it, it does what a film should do, right? Um, I, I think there's a little bit of that, right? When we're working with, singing, reading, sitting with, contemplating, encountering Latin, um, I think just to kind of reject it offhand because of your preferences, and I can respect those, right? Uh, you, you do yourself a disservice, you know? Imagine, you know, oh, come all you faithful, right? We can sing that in English. It is immensely pleasing to sing in Latin, right? You know, adeste fideles. Right? There's, a, there's a certain kind of exuberance, a certain strength to it. You know, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, which is, you know, um, Neil's uh, poetic translation in English, right? But you can also, it's a Latin hymn, Veni, yeah. Veni, Emmanuel. Um, there's something very pleasing about singing that in, in Latin. I think if, if you give it a chance, uh, you'll, you'll find that. Knowing that these antiphons, like you said, have been sung since, you know, we're talking the 8th century. Yeah. We're talking 1,300 years of every advent yeah. around the world, people praying seeing these exact same words and using the Latin, that, that universality and that history that really unites us to really that thread, that ongoing story of Christianity that as we remember that, that the incarnation, while it happened at one point in history is something that we continue to experience and celebrate and remember year after year, because that incarnation is still so much needed in our own lives that we still need that, that presentation of Christ coming into our lives to be present here with us, to walk with us. And so these antiphons going back to those, as you said, those old Testament prefigurements, it's that reminder of we're part of something so much larger than ourselves and so much beyond this one moment in time. I think you said that really well. I mean, tying that into the tradition, right? It's very profoundly mysterious and wonderful, and it's ineffable, really, to to think that we can be we can be singing something that was sung, you know, thirteen hundred years ago, and that's not just kind of a Pollyanna pie in the sky kind of thing, right? We're carrying on a tradition. Um, that's a profound responsibility. Uh, <laughs> it can be a profound weight. It's a profound privilege. We get to do this, right? And so. I thank you for painting that in the light of kind of carrying on the, the the greater tradition, you know, to access that, not to toss it offhand. It's like, oh, well, this is not immediately kind of accessible. Well, that's not its point. You know, it's uh, it, 
uh, that, you know, kind of individual accessibility is not the point. What, you know, you're actually called, right? Um, <laughs> there's an invocation, right? You're, you're called to, to carry this on. And uh, it's, uh, it's exhilarating, right? If, especially, especially when you do it with all of your might and you do it well. There's something about that, that responsibility yeah. to pass on the faith. And, and when the sacred music becomes part of our evangelization, it becomes part of our catechesis, in addition to an integral part of the liturgy itself, this, this liturgy that not only glorifies God, but is meant to sanctify us. And a huge thank you to Mr. Zachary Turner for joining us on today's episode. As a special gift for our listeners, we're actually going to be releasing the recordings of the Scola at St. Mary's Seminary singing the O Antiphons, one each day from December 17th through the 23rd, right here on our podcast. We're also going to be putting the videos on our YouTube channel and links to everything will be on the website and social media. So join us in prayer as we continue in preparation for the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior this Christmas. And... As always, if you want to learn more about the ministries and offices of the Archdiocese, you can find us online at archgh.org. That's A-R-C-H-G-H dot org. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time here on Around the Archdiocese.